0: Welcome to the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. Today, Editor-in-Chief Nino Ramirez and Associate Editors, Professor Reza Shadmir and Professor John Krakauer, will be discussing JNP's new article type, Neurovision. So let's get started.
1: Thanks, Jamie. And thank you very much, John and Reza, for joining into this discussion, where we want to introduce to the readers of Journal of Neurophysiology our new format and new ideas, and we call this the Neurovision article format, but we want to tell you what we think is behind this Neurovision format. So, maybe just to kick off the discussion, when you think about the current format of an article, we are all kind of vetted into an introduction, the results section, and the discussion. And what happens in this format is that the results, themselves are separated from the discussion part. So this is a a good thing on one hand, because you don't want to meddle with your results, with interpretation that might turn out to be wrong in the end. But at the same time, I think it limits the flow of ideas. And so let's start thinking about, you know, where is this coming from? And what we can do about it because I was really inspired by reading a lot of the old papers uh, by John Eccles or Sherrington where this format didn't exist and they were really bringing big pictures on uh, into their papers. They were discussing current ideas and how their new results can influence these ideas. So yeah, John and, and Reza, what do you think uh, we should emphasize and tell to the readers how to attack this neurovision article
0: uh, well i'm willing to go first i mean first of all this was very much your idea nino and um i think it's extremely interesting um i think as soon as one proposes a new form of article it immediately makes two things happen it makes you question where did our notion of articles come from in the first place and i would wager that most people don't know the history of where a current fairly rigid format comes from, right? And we have to go all the way back to the second half of the 17th century. And mm-hmm. ironically, of course, that's where the first journal article in science came from but it didn't have the exact structure that we have today. And then you have to look forward and go, well, what's missing? What gap can we fill? What are we lacking that we would like to have, right? And, you know, I think we've discussed this before which is it's how does one bring a sort of intellectual, you know, more intellectual and less technocratic view of the publication process? Exactly. And and, you know, there used to be a point when people wrote monographs. Now, most scientists, uh, actually Reza and I are exceptions, don't write books, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what you have to do just by introducing something new is to make people realize that actually science could accommodate more than one way to present ideas and data, right? It, 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 It can't possibly be the case that something as rich as science can only be presented in this rather narrow way. It can't be right, right? Otherwise in in the arts, we have sculpture and painting and cinema and photography and novels and poems, right? So why wouldn't we be equally diverse in the the sciences? Now to be a bit more specific about, uh, as I understand you um, with respect to the neurovision essay is that you want a way to use data, preferably your own, to make an argument that is more about your argument than it is to have people scrutinize whether the data themselves are true. And let me give you a very concrete example of where this has been spectacularly successful is in the book that came out two years ago by Piketty, The Economist, uh, Capitalism in the 21st Century. Now that was a book. It was a very unusual book, right? It wasn't a scientific publication on economics where he has of course published. And it wasn't a expert writing a popular book on economics. No. What did Piketty do, which is a massive bestseller by the way, is he took his own data that he's been generating over the years, graphs, plots, tables, and he constructed a viewpoint about where capitalism has currently come. Now those data that he generates throughout this book have themselves been scrutinized in previous publications and by others. What he was doing is taking these data to construct an argument for the general reader. Right? Now that's something quite rare even in the trade press to do that, right? But there are people who write a book that's mainly based on their own data and their own opinions and they weave them together to make an argument, right? And that's what we want to do is to say that it doesn't have to be a book in order to weave together opinion, perspective and data, primarily one's own because one knows it best, right? And that's a very nice idea and it doesn't happen that often, right? And I think it's original uh, and I think science needs it.
1: Yeah, wonderful, John. And you know what, we actually do this quite often but in a different context. We do this when we write a grant. You know, when we write a grant we want to uh, tackle or tackle an important question in the field you know that is unresolved and we use our preliminary data uh, preliminary not meaning superficial and not not strong data but solid data we take our new data to make an argument for new research for advancing the field for making clear where is the, the gap in our knowledge and And here are some solutions that could tackle this problem. And and it becomes a discussion. So I think, you know, like I come from Europe and in Europe, often people say, if you want to to read the best papers of American scientists, read their grants. And and I think our grants are really often much more driven off on on a vision. What do we want to solve? And how do we want to solve it? And using, you know, experimental data to argue with this. so I think you know we
0: use this format, but we don't use it for a peer-reviewed publication. Uh, two little follow-up comments and uh, you know obviously then Re couldby. I will say two things to that. um you're absolutely right that grants are a different species that most people don't get to read, unless it's a reviewer on a panel. And you know in in the science in the in the humanities, sorry. You know, it's very common for the thesis to be published as a book, for example, in philosophy and history. So in other words, to the degree that a thesis is a little bit like a grant, you, know, you have to have it scrutinized, is it enough? It's very common for a thesis to be published um, mm-hmm. as your main book, right? We don't really do that in the sciences, right? You, you, your thesis gets written, but it's usually not published unless it's a set of papers, right? And the second thing I would say is that grant writing, because funding has become more scarce, the grants have become a little less interesting to read, right? They have to be, we're go- you know, you have to already know what you're gonna find. You're actually constrained <laughs> now from being speculative and interesting because study sections want it to already have happened. It's very paradoxical and annoying, but that's what happens. Um, so in a way, the interesting components of grants need to be rescued themselves by a new kind of publication. Right, so the, the so the irony is just multiplying under the sun, actually. Right. <laughs> so um, I think for all these reasons, it's a welcome addition.
2: In uh, thinking about this discussion, I went back to the little folder that I keep where I uh, I keep copies of um, interesting essays that. Over since I was a graduate student, that I thought that were worth keeping, so I can go back and look at them. And I was wondering about what what was it that I've kept and the things that have inspired me. And there's a little piece that Gilles Laurent wrote almost 20 years ago, and he asked the question, "What does understanding mean?" And in it, he addresses, I think, something that is a really an important aspect of neuroscience, which is reductionism. He's, he talks about how. Reductionalism has been so powerful. I mean, it generates massive amounts of data. You you read the papers that we write in neuroscience, and you know, it describes so much about these tiny things. But what Gilles brings up is the question of well, how does one put this together to describe behavior? Because you know, you think about even the nervous system of a simple animal, my God, it's got just enormous complexity. And so how does one put together these small pieces that each have become a domain of their own. And and I hope that what this type of an article can do is act like one of those Roman roads that were built to connect these communities that had become more and more isolated from each other. And through the reading of those essays, we can understand something about this satellite that's sitting above this Roman region, and understand. Oh, I see how that's connected to this, and this is how information is flowing. And maybe from that we can glean something about behavior.
1: Reza, this is a wonderful uh, comment here because, first of all, I, I am a great fan of Jean-Laurent, but also he points really to this important question. You know, how do we bring together our data into a you know, like the big vision, and and you know, and it is li- really lost because I mean, if you if you think about Cajal, you know, I mean, like you describe a new circuitry, and he already described that circuitry based on anatomy by using the anatomy to think about how does it connect to the behavior and how does it really uh, uh, interact. But you know, right nowadays, this will not fly very well. You know, if you put this if a Cajal would try to submit his grant or his, his, his article to a journal, they would say, you know, sorry, Professor Cajal, this is all speculation. But he's just trying to interpret his, his findings into the bigger picture. And at, at the moment, I think we're, we're not allowed to do this anymore. And as a result, we create so many new data without knowing what it really
0: means in the bigger context. So- you're I, I would context. also say, you know, on another point, which is, as you know, there's a whole new field in literature called autofiction, right, where people mix reportage, memoir, fictionalization. Um, It's a huge area, this sort of the new generation of memoirs. And I think what you've inspired me just listening to the two of you to realize is what we really are talking about is an opportunity to write a data-laced memoir on the part of some scientists. In other words, let's just put Reza on the spot because I can, because I've known him a long time and I know his trajectory, right? You know, it would be very interesting. And you know, Reza and I were talking about this fairly recently. What was the trajectory? What were the intellectual undercurrents, inspirations as one's data were collected to what did one do next? In other words, what you never see ever is a a living, still active scientist explain, based on the stepping stones of their data, what the subterranean links are, what the connections are, what the trajectory is, what the philosophy is. There's nowhere to get that. Think about it. If you wanted to know, well, why does this scientist, why does she do what she's doing, right? Why in the 80s and 90s, was it this direction, and then it transitioned into this direction. In fact, what is, was, what yeah. was going
2: on, right? It's embarrassing, John, for me to actually stop and think about your question, because so often we are not asked to examine our path. We are simply moving forward because of the step that we're on, and that seems like a logical next step. And and indeed, it is embarrassing to be put on the put on put on the spot and say, "Well, what what is this trajectory? What and, and is there a global meaning that
0: comes from the body of work?"
2: And um,
0: well, I would say, you know, you, in your particular case, if I may, I, I don't think it would be embarrassing at all. I would say that there were consistent, logical core components that were always acting like generative engines towards what one was doing. It wasn't just haphazard, whimsical, you know, trying things out. So I think that we just don't have a place. And Piketty's book is that, by the way. I mean, Piketty wrote a book to explain beginning at his time at MIT and why he moved back to Paris and what the big questions that interested him were. And did he want to go in the direction of abstract models or the analysis of quantitative data and where that led him and the questions that he cared about. And, you know, I remember Eric Kandel saying to me, there are two kinds of scientists, those who have a question and those who have a technique. Don't be the latter kind of scientist, right? And I think, so in other words, to be able to have the form of a data-laced memoir, to be able to see the bigger picture, to be able to go to 30,000 feet, and to weave a story of one's data and one's direction, there's nothing like it. Unless somebody writes a biography or unless somebody writes a scientific, you know, autobiography.
1: But Look, John, there's and, nothing. Yeah, and, and John and I mean, I think it's, it is really an important aspect we're discussing here because let's say I reflect about my own career. You know, I have focused for 10 years, 15 years, unraveling the circuitry of the so-called pre-Berzinger complex, which is the breathing network. Now, there was always a tension between these reductionists like myself looking at the circuitry versus the people that worked on the whole animal said, hey, you know, Nino, you're just forgetting that this is just embedded in the whole animal. Now, the reason I I never forgot that this little circuitry is in a whole animal, but I felt I have to understand this engine before I can put it into the car. So I always had this bigger vision that once I know this engine, I can put it into the whole animal. And I think nowadays we're getting there, but it takes a whole career to get there. But it doesn't mean that if you're a reductionist, you're not constantly thinking how this little engine will function the whole
0: animal. Right. But what I would argue to that is it's a bit of a, I mean, not in your case, obviously, but I would say in general, that's just a a bit of a gloss that everybody who works at any particular level and does intricate horizontal work will always, when pressed, make a vertical pretension, right? But Mm -hmm. um, I need to see that fleshed out more than going, well, eventually, you know, this will lead you know, Gilles Laurent, who was actually my graduate student teacher at Cambridge, believe it or not. What a small word. Oh, what? It was. Yes. Funny. When I was an undergraduate. Yeah. Um, so I've been a huge fan of Gilles. And he and by the way, he was a very thoughtful intellectual thinker from right back then. I mean, it was not remotely surprising to me uh, that he's done what he's done. But Gilles wrote an essay, you know, Will We Ever Understand the Fly's Brain? right, making the claim, we better start with a fly and stop all this imaging of human brains. You know, that was his position. Um, and it's great. I mean, I disagree vehemently, but I love the position. But I would say that most people, because of the lack of an essay of this kind, actually don't think through their vertical desires, either in the past in terms of trajectory or where they're going. It, it's never actually done. You, you basically just get on with your local thing and you get deep into the details. And as Reza said, you know, you just do the next step and you never actually for yourself or anyone else really flesh out what the trajectory is. You know, it's like being a beginning driver. You just look at to the end of the car. You don't look down the street or even further down. So I think this kind of article would actually make people realize that the broader picture is somewhat vestigial. Exactly, yeah. No, I I totally
1: agree. I think it's too easy to stay focused horizontally. Uh, And in fact, you know, like if you try to be vertical, the reviewer will beat it out of you. You know, they will say, hey, look, just stay horizontal, man uh, or woman. It's it's, uh, the data don't allow you to go vertical. And But I think it's, it's really important uh, to bring this back, this, this whole, why do we do something? What is the, the role? Where does the field is stuck? Because the, stu- the field can often be stuck in this horizontal fight. And so, so I think that, I hope that this neurovision article format allows for this vertical integration of your data and, and putting it into a context where this could lead. You know? And I think in a way, a good grant does that. You know, a good grant is not only producing, putting in things that you have done already, but you have to have also innovation there. You have to have an argument why this is fundamentally moving the field. And so, so I think if you want to get a, a, a two percentile on your grant, a, a great score, you need to think vertically. And I think, uh, you know, like, but this is, doesn't exist in an article format right now. And it should be
0: a little bit it relax, it should be more like a memoir, it should be more, more like what happens in the nonfiction literature all the time. You know, someone yeah, will let's... talk about somebody will talk about a painting or a vase in their house. And then they'll trace the history of that vase over the history of their family. And it and you know it started out in England and it ends up being owned in Japan. And you tell the story of the art form and your personal relationship to it. And instead of it being an art form, we'd make it our data. Mm-hmm. Right? and you talk about your relationship to the data, the way one talks about a relationship to something that one had in one's house or anywhere, yeah. right, and, uh, or you, know, you have a pet cat and you're sort of interested in the history of cats, right, that it's just we've kind of desiccated the opportunity to weave together interesting scientific speculation, real data, and a personal trajectory, mm-hmm. unless you're willing towards the end of your career to write a memoir or you're famous enough that someone will write your biography, right? Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about is you can do something in shorter form right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that is unique. I am not aware. The closest we get to it is when you get interviewed, right? So Neuron you know, personally did an interview with me, I think a year or two ago. You know, what were your inspirations? What were your favorite experiments? What are you doing? Where are you going? right yeah. but it was in the form of an interview now it wasn't really an interview because they would give you questions and then you could write what you wanted so it was actually getting quite close to what we're talking you know, about and john and this is totally important
1: that you say this because we have the podcast series and the reason we have the podcast series is to really get out of these authors how they're thinking about this topic in a broader perspective and uh, and you know what's amazing is that in every case These authors can tell you so much more than what's in the paper. What motivated them? You know, where do they want to go? Where is the field stuck? You know, so we're used to now getting into this podcast format, but it's not in writing, you know, and so it would be really important that we have this, as you say, more relaxed format where we can dissect a question, you know, go ask the question that Jill asked, you know, how do we bring this all together? And, and these questions are really lost because, I mean, at the moment, our discussions are mainly if you have an article format about the technical caveats, you know, why you cannot say anything about your data because, you know, it's just an animal. And I just think we need something where we come back to to why the, why we became neuroscientists and why do we Want to solve these problems. And it's a good way. moment.
0: It's a good moment, right? Because, you know, I've been hosting the learning salon since last summer and it's gotten a real following. And one of the reasons it has is because it's 15 minutes where you give a talk and then the next two hours are questions. So it's completely inverted the usual conference format. Right? That's and a really then- good, thing. yeah,
1: you're right, exactly. So maybe the neuro vision is the inversion of, of the
0: results in a discussion. That's section. right. It's exactly the what it is, is
1: really driving the results.
0: That's yep. right. That's exactly right. And it, it's inverting. And then, you know, the podcasts like Brain Inspired, Unsupervised Learning uh, and, and many others, not many others, Those are, there are not that many, where people like it because they actually get to see what's underneath what the scientist is up to, right? What are they uncertain about? What do they worry about? What do they realize that they're not very good at? What, what would they prefer to have done? What do they wish they could have done? You know, it's just a wonderful thing that's happening right now in other media And Mm -hmm. I think the written version should be very welcome. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's
1: also very timely because we have a whole new generation of young neuroscientists that come with these incredibly amazing techniques. You know, the transgenic techniques, you know, like where you can go into the level of the single interneurons where we can be much more specific than we were before in a way, you know. Uh, For many years, the invertebrates were the only place where you had identified neurons. Now we have the same thing in mammals. But this young generation wants to get an insight into the bigger picture. You know, that they don't become just the scientists with a cool technique, but that they become scientists that solve big picture questions. So, So these written formats of neurovision could be a guide that will help our new generation to put... Their new techniques into a bigger context to solve real problems about neuroscience. Yeah, and you know, eNeuro
0: has suddenly shot to the front with these very interesting opinion pieces at the front of the journal. In other words, it's extremely interesting what eNeuro are doing, right? Mm-hmm. It, and uh, they really came out of nowhere and started doing this, and it's mm-hmm. quite hot now. Um, yeah. So they're playing with this new format and. All power to them. And I think it's not what we're discussing, but it's showing the interest in this more discursive <clears throat> freeform approach, yeah. mixing aspiration, memoir, and data. And I think it's tremendous. I mean, I I think it's just, you know, a really great idea. Um, yeah, and, and neuroscience is really the
1: hottest frontier right now in science in so far, because you know, it it really touches everything what we do, you know. I mean our thoughts, our emotion, our social context, etc., And, and so the world is really eager to learn from neuroscientists, but unfortunately the neuroscientists have no format to express their ideas because we're like stuck in these classical research papers that nobody can read unless you're an expert, you know? And, and so, so here, I think we're offering the opportunity to, to have a discussion forum that, should be a nice read for graduate students but also maybe even for for the general audience and also uh, to
0: reveal quite frankly that neuroscientists actually do not have a monopoly on thinking about these things and in fact (laughs) you you know linguists philosophers psychologists uh people in ai have just as much to say in fact i think this is an opportunity to show that neuroscience alone will not address these
1: huge (laughs) issues
0: and to actually show that they're going to have to be collaborative and where it falls short. Um, I think it's, 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 it's fascinating that neuroscience is one of those fields which really doesn't quite know what it is.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> um, and in that vagueness, it can have beliefs in totalizing knowledge. Um, but in fact, I think this will be an opportunity, you know, talking to Eric Kandel, I remember, and he said he's interested in memory and art and the human versions of those and then ended up talking about very simple forms of plasticity and apalysia. And quite frankly, you know, it's my opinion, they're not related to each other barely at all, right? <laughs> um, now, the but, but you know, it would be worthwhile to have an explanation as to why one thinks that one isn't going to be able to do that extrapolation. Why, what's the logic of the belief that it will just scale up? right? Um, That is one of the founding notions in neuroscience. Um, And I think it's worthwhile saying, you know, I I got really interested in these big questions, um, like Freud, who was originally a neurologist and an aphasiologist and then realized it was the wrong place for his questions. And he dropped it and wrote actually a book that people know less about thinking that you could do this purely psychologically. William James, the philosopher started out doing physiology and realized, that it was dry and boring for him. And he didn't, he realized that it wasn't going to answer the questions that he was interested in. And of course, then he went on to write both textbooks of psychology and about philosophy. So in Mm. other words, sometimes what happens is you think this is the way to approach the question that you cared about when you began your career. And then you find, ooh, didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to, right? So there are, Many interesting things that can be said. Uh-huh. You know, you can be, if you interview for residency as a neurologist and you go, Why are you wanting to be a neurologist? I'm really interested in the brain. And then you look at what they're doing later and they're looking at whether this antiplatelet versus that antiplatelet busts the clot in the blood vessel that goes to the brain. Well, that's not really trying to understand how the brain works. Right. Mm-hmm. But that was what the original intent was during the interview. Yeah. Right. So in other words, one can be led astray by one's methods, one's techniques, one model system and go far, far away from what one originally thought one or was interested in. And yeah, then okay. one, of course, can make a quick vertical claim to cover oneself, but turn that into an essay and it's more difficult. In an essay,
2: the ahead, opportunity is here to write well, something that will give pleasure years after the typical lifetime of an article might be. Um, you think back to readings that you have done that have left an impression on you. And uh, one can strive to write eloquently and to write in a way that will have an impact on time, something that will last. And that requires you know, knowing the craft, of course, to be able to put down in words thoughts that are creative as well as thoughts that will inspire others, particularly young people. And I hope that um, this will provide, this essay format will provide opportunity for our colleagues to uh, show their ability to write for a period that is going to last longer than the typical length of an article in
1: time would be. Reza, you're actually talking about also the other format that we introduced, which is the essay format. And I think they're related to each other. and the idea of the essay is really like taking an opinion, taking a current idea and, and working about it. The neurovision article is one where you actually start to mix your results, that the new results to actually point into, let's call it now the vertical direction of the field, you know and or, also that helps us to understand, you know, where is the field stuck, you know, and, and what, is it, what does it take? So, so you shouldn't get punished if you, for example, have a result that is still inconclusive because, you know, it, it just shows the problem. So, so I think, yes, we have at the Journal at the of Neurophysiology now these two formats, the, the essay format that allows you to talk about an opinion without the data or, you know, but it could have data slides that are published somewhere. But you have also the neurovision article, which allows you to, to present new data that haven't been published. They, they will be peer reviewed, but they will be put into a bigger context and allows you to have a heavy discussion that is intermingled with the results. In yeah, order. I
0: mean, I think what Reza meant, Nino, you know, is it's still going to be essayistic and memoiristic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Words, right, absolutely. in other words, it's still, it still has, it's still essayism, right? In other words, it's still you know exactly. you can bring you can bring in the first person you can talk about wrong turns you know I mean again to personalize it to reza you know when you go from humans and decide to set up a marmoset lab what was the impetus what was the what was missing from the previous algorithmic approach where one wanted to get implementational flesh on those algorithmic bones you know in other words it's that kind of thing and Or, and and maybe there was a piece of data that said, I'm never gonna resolve this unless I get into the cerebellum, for example. So in other words, I think that's what's very valuable is if you actually see the arguments, the questions, the uncertainties that generated the trajectory and why one thought, you know, I'm in the same way. I've just gotten a grant with a colleague to develop a monkey model of stroke. Why? Because I was beginning to despair that we're not gonna come up with treatments without getting closer to the physiology. Uh, exactly. yeah. So in other words, it, 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 I think people might be interested to see how one does that. Again, mentioning Eric Kandel, you know, he moved to the mouse. There were lots of people who said, why are you moving to the mouse from a pleasure to in vitro slice preparations to a full-blown or Well, because the question led me there, right? So Absolutely. I think it's that kind of evolution, personally of an over field, that we just are starved for those kind of stories, which of course will be laced with data as I said before, but you can't find those stories anywhere.
1: No, right? exactly. And they exist. I mean, this, this is guiding your life. I mean, like I started with insects and it guided my whole life going into the mammal and the que- same question, the big questions are still the same. And, uh, and it helped me tremendously, but there's no format for me to, to bring these things together because you have to divide all your little articles into little research stories that are not connected, you know, and, and I think that's, that's also the goal of this neurovision article, to allow you to connect the dots.
0: Put the doubting human back in. Yeah, Put exactly. Put the doubting human back in, right? Mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. But I think it's not a new idea, because I think,
1: you know, when you go back to the 1950s and these articles, they're fascinating and you know like sometimes it's embarrassing to see that they discuss exactly the same problems that we're still stuck with you know i i read an article where they discuss you know is it a pacemaker is a network or you know like i mean this was in the 50s and and 40s and uh, and then you look at these recordings and think oh my god you know they they didn't have the tools yet they had these big ideas and now we have all the tools but we forget about the big ideas because we're not allowed to put them into the into our discussion section because you know we discuss only the caveats of that technique instead of you know what is the the reason we did these experiments. And and I think we shouldn't forget that this doesn't mean we're allowed to speculate wildly because the data should hold true no matter what. You know, I mean
0: But you, you should like, be allowed I... to speculate
1: wildly. Why not? In this format, why not? Yeah, yeah, no, you should be allowed to speculate, but the data should be the data, you know, that the sure. data should be right. true, no matter what your interpretation can be regarded as, oh my God, so wrong. What did John
0: say? Or what did Nino think here? Sure, but but, that, but that's fine. I mean, you know, at yeah. Piketty, I mean, when he published his book, there were huge amounts of controversy and contention over what those plots yeah. mm-hmm. of... You know, and a ratio of increasing wealth over income, for example. Yeah, absolutely. But this is where you can just go for it. I mean, you don't want to be curmudgeonly ad hominem or lunatic, right? <laughs> but at the same time, it's exactly where one can be a little bit more freewheeling. Yeah right? Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, that's exactly what we do want, right? And and obviously it has to be reined in to some degree. But you know, when Francis Crick wrote his astonishing hypothesis, one would like to him to have been able to write that in Eurovision. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Yes. Absolutely. No, so I think um, let's say coming back to our, our listener or the the authors that submit articles, I think it will be important that we give them some guidance of, you know, like, hey, please express your ideas, but don't feel constrained. By by the current format of separating results and discussion and intro, but really express your idea in an essay format and include some of your new data that guide you and that actually don't have to resolve the problem, but they raise a problem in order to inspire new experiments. Because the idea is that an article should drive science and it shouldn't just report the past, you know, and I think that's that is the idea for the neurovision article and i think the the format is free enough that people can interpret this idea in a different way which is good i think we want freedom here and we want to loosen up our rigid framework that i think has been forced us to be horizontal as john just mentioned so yeah i mean any other guidance that you want to give to the readers, maybe John and, and Reza?
0: Well, I would maybe just make sure people realise that they don't have to be sort of graying at the temples to be allowed to talk about this. That you can be, <laughs> um, you can be at stages of your career, right? Why, you know, why one chose what one decided to do, one's graduate or postdoc in, why one switched. What you can be interesting and original and thoughtful. About one your trajectory at any stage of your career, right? So yeah. I would like to actually make it very clear that one wants to promote this ability. I think rather to write well early, and if we create a Rachel Carson or a Stephen Jay Gould by getting them to do this kind of stuff in either of the formats, the you know, in the neuroscene or neurovision, then we've succeeded,
1: right? Absolutely, um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, when Jill Laurent wrote this article that, that Reza was referring to, I mean, he was, I think, still at Caltech and then working on insects and thinking about, you know, what, what is it, what we're doing, and where does it lead? You know, these are the questions that that we all have to face and often don't really tackle in our written format. So, so I think it's a, it's a great opportunity, and I'm, I'm really hoping that we see some uh, cool submissions here and and we will also accompany them the, with podcasts where we can discuss you know uh, this in further detail because I think you know these free discussions uh, that we just engage right now is, is really a great opportunity also for the authors to to go beyond what they've just written there so yeah so maybe this is uh, you, you have got an impression of what we're thinking about and uh, please contact us you know, like if you have an idea for a neurovision article, it doesn't have to be solicited, but please, I think it would be a good idea if you contact us and then we will handle it like a manuscript, but we'll make sure that the reviewers understand that this is not a classical article where they can criticize an idea that maybe is too big. So we will make sure that, let's say, the reviewers maybe include John and and Reza and myself that understand what we're planning to do. And, and I think, as John said, everybody is invited and not only the, the seasoned scientist that wants to bring together what, what they've done over their lifetime, but also the postdocs or the young assistant professors that wanna set up a career. They wanna you know, tackle a problem. They wanna tackle something that where dogmas may be totally wrong. And, Question dogma. So, so this is the format for this. It's a free thinking and free expression of your ideas. So, maybe a few last minute thought, Reza and John. Be bold. Be bold. That's take it. a risk and uh, write mm. as if it matters.
0: Yeah.
2: If it and matters. our d-
0: and our default will be to be delighted that it's submitted and to support and help make it something good okay the the default will not be what can we find wrong with this it will be what's wonderful about
1: this (laughs) i love that okay so general neurophysiology is here for you to think about what's wonderful in this world how do we make it better and how can we address it using our new experimental techniques or actually also old experimental techniques and going beyond the limitations so Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to us and Reza and John, as always, it's fun to talk to you and and I hope we'll get a lot of neurovision articles soon. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Take care. Bye Reza. Bye John. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the Journal of Neurophysiology and produced by me, Jamie Jones. If you would like to hear our latest episodes, please visit the Journal of Neurophysiology's homepage.